Section 4 of By Ox Team to California, a narrative of crossing the plains in 1860. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sue Anderson. By Ox Team to California, a narrative of crossing the plains in 1860. By Lavinia Honeyman Porter section four from cottonwood after a tedious long drive we arrived one night at a place called fremont springs and here we found a fine spring of clear cool delicious water for days we had climbed and descended hills and passed through a series of sand canyons for many miles after leaving cottonwood our road lay near the creeping treacherous platte the platte itself was not alkaline but many times our trail was some distance from the river and our cattle would become so thirsty before they could be driven to the river that they would seek to satisfy their thirst in the many shallow lakelets that abounded near the stream and these lakelets were in many instances almost saturated solutions of soda and potash we ourselves as well as our poor cattle enjoyed the delicious draughts from fremont springs which was considered the finest water between the rocky mountains and the missouri river we felt like falling down and worshipping this fountain cooling the parched lips of man and beast whose fate had led them beside the stagnant pool and dull creeping muddy waters of the platte much of our journey after leaving cottonwood was near and in sight of the south platte river but its proximity failed to moisten the stretches of sand along our gloomy pathway it crawled along between low banks and one day i ventured to take a bath in its waters but on descending its banks the oozy loam glided too swiftly beneath my feet and in a moment i realized i was in its treacherous quicksands i scrambled up the bank by main force shuddering to think how soon i might have been engulfed in the muddy depths of its deceptive waters on these desert wastes the wind blew at a rate of ten knots an hour and it was so filled with sand that it seemed like earth in motion instead of air along this dreary route we walked day by day everything was gray the few sickly weeds that grew upon its dry soil would crumble at the touch. Here and there a single sunflower gave a touch of color. A few sickly cacti bloomed. Flowers that had enlivened the landscape further back had entirely disappeared. In their place the naked land swarmed with anthills and myriads of grasshoppers, and huge brown crickets abounded. At night the wind blew even more violently, and the tempest of sand that came flying with it filled the air, and everything that lay untouched for a time was powdered half an inch deep with it. Through one of these storms, the overland stage from the east overtook and passed us. It surged along, bearing about a dozen wearied, dusty, dejected-looking passengers. I noticed that they seemed to be hanging on to life at the neck of sundry flat pocket flasks as we came near denver the south platte seemed to make its nearest approach to beauty and in many places it was studded with beautiful islands 
picturesque indeed with their emerald green foliage of graceful willows when we neared beaver creek a beautiful landscape began to unfold the river seemed to widen out into a huge lagoon i remember the rosy hues of a beautiful sunrise that unfolded to our view the mirrored water was filled with wild ducks the river swarmed with teal and mallard their beautiful green and blue plumage looked gay in the early sunlight as they glided through the water with exquisite grace the journey toward denver might have been divided into four stages the prairies the less fertile plains the desert and then the rocky mountains at this late day it is very easy to underrate the toilsome marches of many weeks now that one can travel in forty-eight hours over an extent of country which forty or fifty years ago baffled the progress of the venturesome pioneer i remember how joyfully we greeted the first scrubby pine trees giving us hope that the desert was nearly past and the mountains were not far off their soft and tender green was soothing to our sunburnt vision and when we halted at nightfall we found a numerous band who had made the long journey through this woodless region building huge fires with the dead pine branches and taking solid comfort in the cheer and warmth of the ruddy leaping blaze of which they had been so long deprived soon the foothills of the rocky mountains were in evidence arriving at bijou colorado we encountered one of the severest storms i ever saw on the plains we imagined we had seen severe storms in kansas but this one descended on us so suddenly and the rain and sleet came down in such torrents that we had scarcely time to stow away the provisions made for our evening meal while james and my brother were hurriedly chaining our oxen to the wagon to prevent them from stampeding before the pelting rain and sleet and staking the wagon to the ground to keep it from being overturned by the fierce wind i and my little son climbed into the wagon for shelter the noise of the rain and hail on our canvas cover was deafening and seemed as if it would tear our frail shelter into tatters no warm supper for us that night we crawled into our blankets damp tired and hungry wondering how long it would continue not until after midnight was the wild fury of the storm somewhat abated a drizzling rain succeeded which made the roads almost impassable for days while the heavy grades became so steep and slippery that we were compelled to wait for help to pull us up their steep inclines as we came nearer the foothills these high winds seemed to become more prevalent and swept over us at times with relentless force every night our wagon was securely staked to prevent an upset by the fury of the gale these high winds no doubt accounted for the lack of timber for the young trees were so rocked and wrenched that their roots were not firm enough to draw up what little nourishment the porous soil could give them but gradually a change was taking place the pine trees which appeared at intervals although stunted and dwarfed gave variety and softness to the landscape which hitherto had been so monotonous and drear the hills became more rolling and the valleys deeper with watercourses more frequent in their depths and our thirsty stock could drink their fill without robbing those who came after us the timberless plain ceased to be desert 
and was once more fertile. Our progress now was one of gradual ascent. In many instances, our pathway was unlovely and unsatisfactory. Here and there, a shady ridge forcibly reminded us of the drift of the many terrible sandstorms we had so often passed through. When darkness came upon us near some little mountain stream where we made our lonely camp, our voices sounded singularly clear in the cool, clear air, and instinctively we drew nearer each other with the acknowledgment of our loneliness. This loudness of our voices was the first thing we noticed that gave evidence of a change of air from the plains. We could distinctly hear the sound of a human voice two or three hundred rods away. Far out on the plains for miles before reaching Denver, we were told to keep a sharp lookout for a first view of Pike's Peak, and for many days we were straining our vision to the extreme limit. The first view I had of the mountain was in the form of a vaporous cloud. Gradually this began to form a sharper and more distinct outline, until at last we could clearly see the glittering peak, covered with snow, rising to a height far above all other peaks, like a sentinel watching over the plain. As our gaze rested from time to time on this monarch of the mountains, so full of majesty and power, other less lofty peaks were presented to our view, until, finally, the whole majestic range of the Rocky Mountains was outlined before us. As our eyes were fixed upon the towering mountains, looming up so grandly, we easily fancied that an ordinary, swift pedestrian could reach them in a day's length. At any rate, our slow-moving team would bring us to them in a few short hours. But... For days our course westward still lay along the plain and over additional rising foothills, while many weary miles intervened before we entered these mountain gorges and explored the strange and mysterious paths leading us up and down through these lofty ranges. Chapter 7 Infant Denver Hanging by the Vigilance Committee An Indian and His Scalps the parting with my brother, a sale of glassware, on to California. At last, in the latter part of June, after three months' wearisome journey, we made our way down the mountains and over the lower range of the foothills into the then primitive village of Denver. Picture, if you can, an almost level plain, surrounded on all sides by towering mountains, whose highest peaks were snow-crowned even in midsummer. In the center of this great plain stood Denver. I shall never forget our advent into that city of the mountain and plain. A few days previous we had fallen in with several wagons with their full complement of men, women, and children. A motley crowd, the men unshaven and unshorn, with long sunburnt whiskers, their stained and weather-beaten garments begrimed with the dust and dirt of the plains. The women and children with their huge sunbonnets pulled over sunburnt brows, ragged, unkept, and dirty, their short, rough dresses in tatters from coming into too frequent contact with the campfire, many of them barefooted from the rough roads and long travel which had played sad havoc with their only pair of shoes. 
i doubt whether any one of us would have been recognized so changed was our exterior from the trim and natally attired trio that left home in the early spring now wearied with urging contrary and tired cattle over miles of treeless and waterless wastes barren deserts and alkali plains i had pictured denver a thriving bustling busy city but nearly fifty years ago it was an exceedingly primitive town consisting of numerous tents and numbers of rude and illy constructed cabins with nearly as many rum shops and low saloons as cabins horses cows and hogs roamed at will over the greater part of the village very few of the humble homes were enclosed with a fence these inferior shanties built of logs and rough boards were clustered together near the banks of cherry creek in the lower part of the town the vacant places were occupied by the indian huts of a band of the arapaho tribe who were at war with the utes and who trusted that the presence of the white man in their vicinity would afford protection to their families against attack while their own braves were off fighting or stealing in the mountains beyond the relations of the arapahoes and the ute indians were not of the most cordial character for hereditary feuds and occasional warlike sallies had from time to time disturbed that perfect mutual concord so important for neighbors to maintain each tribe prided itself on its superiority to the other and it would be deemed a great disgrace for an arapaho maiden to marry a ute and vice versa their poor overworked squaws were busily engaged in the labors of the camp cooking their vile compounds and making the skins of wild animals into the uncouth garments that they wore loafing around in the sand and dirt were the indolent and unemployed braves while their filthy and vermin-covered offspring played naked in the sand these so-called braves wore nothing but a narrow strip of cloth around their loins while we were still camping in denver the warriors who had gone out to give battle to the utes returned bringing with them a number of horses captured from the enemy, and making both night and day hideous with their powwows and secret incantations. The dismal wailing and howling of the squaws, bringing back from the fight their dead and wounded, made the surroundings anything but cheerful. Before our arrival, and imagining Denver to be a city with some pretensions to civilization, i had confided to my husband my intention of making a more prepossessing toilet before appearing on its streets i carefully donned my best riding habit and made myself as comely as circumstances would allow mounting my horse sidewise in the saddle which i had hitherto ridden astride i gaily rode through the one street of the town until we crossed a rude bridge spanning cherry creek here our wayward cattle balked a loud crack from the swirling whip urging them on frightened my rosinante who gave his accustomed squat and i found myself ingloriously dismounted and lying at full length on the boards of the bridge i was quickly lifted up by a chivalrous miner after this ignominious debut i was only too glad to retire from sight under the cover of our wagon until we found a place to locate we drove across the stream and camped on the banks of the cherry creek opposite the village 
we were very much discouraged by the outlook and the surroundings the whole town seemed to be in turmoil in front of our camp on the other side of the creek we witnessed the hanging of two men by the vigilance committee this filled me with horror and dismay although doubtless they deserved it for the town was overflowing with vile characters during our short stay in denver we removed the bed of the wagon from off the running gear to make some necessary repairs and placed it upon the ground one morning james had gone into the town to purchase some needed supplies leaving me and my little son alone in camp although other campers were in our vicinity i had baked my day's supply of bread and placed it in the back of the wagon to cool seating myself in the front of the wagon bed for more privacy i had drawn my curtains while i sat busily mending and conversing with my child suddenly without sound or warning my curtain was rudely pulled aside and there before me stood a huge repulsive-looking indian demanding bread his tone and manner was so insolent and overbearing that it aroused my ire and although frightened i assumed a brave front and quickly told him i had no bread to give him he said you heap lie plenty bread at the same time pointing to my cooling loaves but i shook my head and gave him to understand that he could not have it my brother's gun stood within the wagon close beside me the indian reached in as if to take it but i anticipated his thoughts and seizing the gun placed it beyond his reach while his gaze was fixed upon me in open-eyed wonder i also had time to look him over and saw hanging at his belt a number of bleeding scalps taken in the last fight with the youths these he loosened for my closer inspection and handing them to me told or tried to tell in his broken jargon of english and indian what a brave chieftain he was keeping up the show of courage i had assumed for the occasion but inwardly quaking i took the bunch of bloody scalps in my hands and counted them taking care however that my hands should not come in contact with the blood the indian looked amazed and surprised at my temerity and with the startled exclamation hm, white squaw no fear left me as suddenly as he came the people that inhabited the embryo city of denver were a most diverse and varied lot every class of citizen was represented doctors lawyers merchants stage drivers gamblers and preachers were all in evidence and from the general style of dress it was difficult to make a distinction all alike wore the red flannel shirt of the miner and ox driver the most prosperous lawyer or the most successful businessman or merchant was as roughly garbed as the commonest laborer low drinking saloons were to be seen on every hand and gambling dens of every kind abounded many of the squalid adventurers lived in the crudest manner with no law save that enacted by the vigilance committee no wonder that so many coming into this dismal village chafed and irritated with their long journey were disheartened and discouraged and turned their faces homewards miners and laborers were constantly coming into denver from the various mining districts with conflicting reports we hardly knew whom or what to believe many of them were out of money 
and out of heart others who had been more fortunate told of the rich strikes they had made we met and talked with a number of these more optimistic prospectors who had recently come down for more supplies from a place that was then known as gregory's diggings their encouraging reports of gold discovered rekindled the ardor of my brother who thus far on our journey had been satisfied to stay with us but who now decided that he was tired of travel and was persuaded to go back with the prospectors to the mines taking with him a few tools and a stock of provisions and with high hopes that he was to make his fortune in a little while and return home a rich man he started for the mines he was as sanguine and eager as if none had ever failed i dreaded to part with him and leave him in that wild country to battle with all the privations that must come to adventurous prospectors in their search for gold all men were not fitted by nature for gold diggers and this brother of mine hitherto a pampered and petted darling just from college unused to hardships what dangers menaced his footsteps what trials lay in wait for him but no pleadings of mine were of any avail so i bade him godspeed and we parted in denver on the banks of cherry creek long afterwards i heard that after he had suffered untold privations and dangers at last by weary stages of slow travel sometimes on foot he reached home a sadder poorer but a wiser man i have mentioned our great disappointment in the village of denver and its environment as we then found it in the summer of eighteen sixty my husband said to me after bidding my brother farewell what are we going to do shall we remain here return home or push on to california my pride would not consent to turn my face homeward although my heart yearned to do so and i was so utterly disgusted with denver and its squalid surroundings with the arapahoes who had made the last two or three nights indescribably hideous with the combined drunkenness and rioting that existed everywhere in this society composed of the roughest classes of all states and nations with this log city of maybe two hundred dwellings not half of them completed and the other half not fit to be inhabited by any self-respecting woman that i felt life amid such surroundings would be to me unendurable without argument or hesitation i said we will go on to california by this time we had come nearly to the bottom of our very limited purse we had our wagon loaded with plenty of provisions enough and more to last us for a continued journey to california yet we could not think of going further without ready money to pay for the numerous ferries and other incidentals that were likely to occur on the road so here we had to consider ways and means to replenish our scanty hoard and to see what we could spare from our scanty belongings that could be disposed of to the best advantage the weather was growing colder as we advanced further into the mountains hitherto we had traveled without a tent we now found that we could no longer dispense with that comfort and we must provide a camp stove for use in rainy weather among our stores we had packed two cases of thin 
cut-glass goblets and wine-glasses, which were cumbersome and heavy, so we decided to lighten our load of them and strengthen our purse. James approached one of the best saloons that infested the town and told the proprietor of his wish to dispose of them to the best advantage. As freight of all kinds had to be brought overland, articles of that variety were in great demand and expensive as well. The saloon man at once offered him a very satisfactory price for all the glassware, enough to warrant us to make the necessary purchases for the comfort of our extended journey, and money sufficient to last, as we hoped, until we arrived at our destination in California. After repacking and readjusting our load, we two alone, with our little son, took up the lonely march through seemingly endless mountain chains and over desert lands for more hundreds of weary miles toward the land of the setting sun. Our road led over what was then known as the Cherokee Trail, which we had learned formed the shortest practical route from Denver to Salt Lake City. Chapter 8 Toward Laramie, Fording a Dangerous Stream, Celebrating the Fourth of July, Entertaining Strangers, and Indian Village on the Move. We camped the first night out from Denver beside a small rippling stream, whose waters, as they flowed over the pebbly bottom, fell soothingly on the ear, while from its deeper pools I caught the most delicious fish I ever ate. The night was cool and breezy, but within our now comfortable tent we set up our little camp stove and built our fire. We soon crawled in under our blankets, said our prayers to the stars that brightly twinkled through the trees overhead, and thought of home and the comfortable beds we had left so far behind us. For several days we pushed on through a reasonably level country, though we encountered many deep, steep-banked, dry gullies and some very rough roads, until we arrived at last on the banks of the Cache-Lapuda River, seventy or eighty miles from Denver, and by far the most formidable stream we had met. We had been told that a rope ferry was stationed here that would enable us to cross this stream with safety. Unluckily, on our arrival, we found that it had gone down the stream, and nothing had since been heard of it. An old scout whom we met here assured us that there was no safe crossing for our team, as the current was very swift. If we were venturesome enough to try to ford it, our wagon and cattle would be carried downstream. Here was a dilemma. We dared to go no further without assistance, though anxious to pursue our journey with some degree of haste. Prudence warned us that to cross an unknown stream alone was taking too many risks. We decided to wait and see what would turn up. A merciful providence had helped us before through many an obstacle. Why not trust once more? Here we prepared to camp for an indefinite period, as there were few people, if any, coming or going over this desolate road. At the close of the second day of our waiting, there appeared, mounted on powerful horses, a white man and two Indians, trappers, coming from their isolated cabin in the heart of the Rocky Mountains. They stayed with us an hour or more, sharing our evening meal. We begged their assistance in our perplexity, and they promised us, if we would wait their return the next day, they would help us ford the uncertain stream. 
of course we waited for them for we could not help ourselves though we feared that they might not return for our relief however our breakfast was scarcely over the next morning when our eyes were gladdened by the sight of them returning with their horses laden with pelts these they hastily unloaded and mounting their horses they plunged into the stream swimming them up and down until they found a reasonably safe crossing and a secure landing-place where our team with their help could reach the opposite shore with safety then tying a rope to the heads of our two lead oxen a man on each side on their strong horses we went boldly down into the deep and turbid stream anxiously we watched each move of the fearless horsemen as they measured the depths of the foaming stream the current was strong and swift and should accident happen fatal disaster seemed almost certain committing our all into the hands of our heavenly father we rode down into what might have been the chasm of death where the rapid current yawning to receive us in its cold depths seemed ready to bury us from sight owing to the steepness of the bank we came near upsetting the wagon as we entered the stream but the second indian rode by the wagon side and dexterously righted it the water was deep for about fifty yards or more the bottom broken and filled with huge boulders and the current swift and strong i crouched in the wagon with my little son trembling with fear while my husband riding the ox nearest the wheel urged his swimming cattle on luckily our wagon bed was not afloat although the water came up into it when the brave oxen pulled us up the steep banks safe once more i uttered a prayer of thanksgiving and gladly helped unload and dry out some of our goods that had got wet in the crossing with many and heartfelt thanks to the obliging trio who refused any other remuneration we bade adieu to them as they again mounted their horses recrossed the stream and went on their way another day's delay waiting for our goods and wagon to dry out and we resumed our interrupted journey end of section four